Hello and welcome to Chilennial Horrors, where we're listening to new metal in slow-mo and stropping on our new rock boots to go into battle or something. Today we are kicking off our new Vampires vs. Werewolves series with a look back at some of the most um, leather-clad movies of the <laughs> early 2000s. <laughs> it's, there, was just, there was just a lot of black, like PVC I guess, and leather <laughs> and... Just, I mean, every single one wasn't that, I think. Just a lot of leather trousers going around, for sure. Yeah, yeah. lots of talcum powder, probably. <laughs> probably. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> so our first movie, we've actually got four, so, you know, uh, get comfy, might be here a while. So our first movie is Dracula 2000, or potentially Dracula 2001, depending on where you are in the world and when this film was released, which I kind of love. Stick a date on the end of all films. That would be hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> it is directed by Patrick uh, Lussier. Lussier? I don't know where he's from or how he pronounces it. I think it. he's Canadian. Um, I could be wrong. Okay. I read it as well, so, but he could be, yeah, could be French-Canadian then, so maybe you do go French. Um, and executive produced by Wes Craven, like basically everything was at this point in time, <laughs> I think. And, uh, yeah, starring... Gerard Butler as Dracula, which, like, I feel like before we go any further, we have to address that casting choice. But also, I don't think I could have told you that was Gerard Butler from looking at him in this film. No, he doesn't look like Gerard Butler at all. Also, he's not he's, he's not on the poster. He's barely mentioned. Like, it's, if the poster's all the other actors kind of scream like, like the screen yes. poster layout, and he's somewhere in the background and his name's not on the poster so I think that's how it's easy to forget that Gerard Butler is Dracula <laughs> in this movie because he's like it's not really advertised Was he not a thing at this point in time? I don't think so I think wasn't 300 really where Gerard Butler kind of captured our hearts and like, <laughs> yeah. he's, uh, he's still on my bad list for that time when I had to interview him and he pretended to be really annoyed <laughs> And then laughed uproariously at me being just a bit taken aback. Oh. But I, <laughs> I think he was like an hour late. And then when he finally connected the call, he was like, what do you want? <laughs> I was like, um. <laughs> and then he just laughed and was really nice to me for the rest of the interview. But I was like, oh, don't scare me when yeah. you're really late. Jesus. It's mean. <laughs> yes. But so he he's, he's in this as Dracula. Um, slash another character that we'll get to. Uh, but there's also... Just everyone in this seemed to be someone off the telly. Mm. Like, I was just staring at Jennifer Esposito for so long, being like, I know you. Why do I know you? Who are you? Um, but she's in NCIS. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> uh, obviously, Jerry Ryan from uh, Star Trek. Yeah. And then Johnny Lee Miller, who is a film person, I will concede. <laughs> but then also Christopher Plummer, um, Justine Waddell, who I, I don't know, Omar Epps, Colleen Fitzpatrick. And Nathan Fillion as well. Oh, yeah, Nathan Fillion. How did I forget Nathan Fillion? <laughs> yeah, crucially, Nathan Fillion as a priest about three years before he was a priest in Buffy. It is a very Buffy film in a lot of ways as well. There's like, yes. It feels like more of, like, I think the buffiness makes it seem like a connection that, like, Nathan <laughs> Fillion's playing a priest in two things. Yes. Yeah, it feels like it's like a prequel to Caleb <laughs> being... Because yeah. he's, he's just a human priest in this one, isn't he? Yeah, he is. He's not in it very much. I think if you're a Nathan Fillion fan coming for him, he's... <laughs> you'll be disappointed. You'll be, you'll be disappointed. Um, so, yeah, uh, plot-wise, 
Matthew Van Helsing uh, has set up an office on top of what was Carfax Abbey and has some secrets hidden away there. But some thieves break into the vault, steal a coffin, which they inexplicably think will be full of treasure. It's like, (laughs) (laughs) for the reasons. Um, And yeah, it's Dracula. So they then fly him to uh, New Orleans and he gets out and runs Rampage and becomes obsessed with this woman called Mary, um, who is sort of full of Dracula blood, again, for reasons. <laughs> um, what, what, what did you make of the kind of quite convoluted plot of this film? It's interesting. On the one hand, it is ridiculously complicated, but mm. also it's, it feels oddly simple while you're watching it. I think because it moves, it moves quickly. I think the mm. first half feels incredibly quick. They suddenly get they're suddenly in New Orleans and like all of the thieves are suddenly vampires. Like they all just yes. get turned immediately, basically. And then it slows right down once everyone gets to New Orleans. And then it's then it starts to feel clunky to me that like there's too much plot happening. Mm. Yeah, because it, it starts like a like quite a fun caper basically with the break in and it's yeah, flying Dracula's coffin to New Orleans in like a plane and he breaks out on the plane and It's very similar to the beginning of Blade Trinity, that isn't it? Yes, it is, you're right. So I was like, I've got deja vu. Why does this seem so familiar? But yes, because <laughs> it's, yeah, Blade Trinity. Um, I only saw this film for the first time in 2013, which is still nine years ago now, but was still, <laughs> you know, like like 12 to 13 years after this film came out. So I feel like I've only ever known this film from a sort of nostalgic distance. <laughs> did you see it any any earlier or when did you see this film? I didn't. I didn't see it much earlier. I think I must have seen it around oh, late noughties. I remember the reviews being absolutely awful. Yeah. Um, I didn't go and see it at the cinema. Um, I think I was probably a bit too young, still in two thousand. Yeah, um, probably. Yeah. So I think I rented the DVD when I was bored, probably, and <laughs> actually quite enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. So I've always had a bit of a soft spot for it. I think. Yeah, it is one of those films where <laughs> I always think it's going to be worse than it is but it's also not quite good. It's no, it's a mix. I, yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's good, but I do have this sort of weird affection for it Yeah, that, for like sure. I feel like if I maybe if I'd seen it I don't know. I feel like maybe if I'd seen it at the time I would have been a bit more kind of judgmental. On the other hand, when it came out I was massively into Buffy, so maybe it would have just kind of appealed to the part of me that loved Buffy because it's, it's so like the vampire makeup looks like it's from Buffy. The fight mm-hmm. choreography is a hundred percent like TV. that kind of <laughs> weird kung TV Kung Fu thing that they do. That all vampires immediately learn upon rising from the grave. Yep. Um, <laughs> it just gives it all that. It just sort of just looks like a feature length Buffy episode. Yeah. It does look cheap. There's a lot of kind of a lot of romantic longing and standing around. Um, shouting in cars and like fights in garages yeah a lot of like cost-effective locations even though there's like aerial (laughs) shots of new orleans like a couple of tracking shots through the streets but actually when stuff happened it's always like very conveniently cheap yeah i mean i guess all that stuff would have been slightly more expensive to do then than it is now because now you're like well you just get a drone shot but um i guess they would have had to put a bit more effort in but yeah it just it i think the cast as well it just feels like it should be on telly. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone, like you said, everyone's from telly. Like Christopher Plummer is in it for longer than I remembered him being in it, but he's kind of there and not there. He's <laughs> he's got a bit of an accent. He's having a fun, but yeah. And Johnny Lee Miller as well as your leading man feels 
the Kuwait TV. I know he is a film person. <laughs> it it feels maybe like a little bit late for that to be like cool. Like Johnny Lee Miller just feels very nineties to me. I yeah. don't know, and this is like maybe just a little bit late. But like, yeah, I don't know. I feel like all the serious horror fans would have hated this because it is very silly. Yeah, it's, it's full of jokes. There's so many jokes in it. It's really like I don't know if Virgin paid to have as much product placement as there is they in this. Done, right? They must have done because like um, Mary, one of the like main characters, works in a Virgin megastore. But even that now, from like this terrible point in time in 2022, you're like, oh, Virgin megastore. <laughs> <laughs> I miss those. And also, I just think that the the fact that it's all everything is Virgin branded is just a hilarious Dracula joke. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, whoever came up with that, I think, must have been so pleased with themselves. And I'm pleased with them, too. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, some of the jokes aren't bad. I mean, like, the, um, like, I'm an atheist and God loves you anyway. Like, that's yes. funny. Yes. Obviously, there are some really crap puns and jokes, but some of it's better. Like, some of the jokes are better than I remember. And some of the writing is, like, the plotting is good. The big twist is great. The big twist is actually kind of great. Like, I want to roll my eyes at it. At the same time, I kind of love it. Yeah. It, so, it's, it's should so we talk good. about yeah, the big twist? So, this, so, I don't know whether this is the first film or book or story or whatever to ever do this. I feel like I think it I've might not be. seen it before. Maybe the, the only one. Um, but someone somewhere had been having a think about what the things are that vampires don't like and decided that the, the fear of the cross and fear of, like silver might point to oh, I, feel like I don't want to say this <laughs> maybe dracula is judas iscariot he's that's judas what iscariot. this film says he, yeah he just is that's yeah. why he can't can't deal with the cross and that's why yeah silver's so repellent to him because that's why he sold out his lord and savior and he's been just cursed to walk the earth as a kind of pariah ever since it's great I, I really love the bit where you see the way he hangs himself and then can't die that's like that's perfect that's obviously why he's such a yeah pissed off immortal being i just i just thought it was really clever that like just it's 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 sort of silly but at the same time you're like do you know what kind of works it is and it's so good that it does it kind of almost forgive all the kind of slow plot mechanics of like you said like nicking the coffin and there's keep kind of like no one would make this so difficult to break into if it wasn't full of jewels, maybe? Yeah. Question mark. Um, <laughs> yeah, or, but why wouldn't why would they specifically get a coffin? Like, full of Traditionally, jewels. when people have a load of jewels to store, they probably don't put it in a coffin. <laughs> it's just a bit weird. But yes, I kind I do kind of like you know the fact that they're 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 being naughty thieves and they get got by Dracula. That's quite fun. Yeah, the plane bit's really fun where they kind of um, yeah he shoots holes in the plane and Dracula can't go through it and then they fly into a storm and he's like screaming stay in the light and it clouds over and he gets caught. But oh, there's a bit where like a leech flies onto the guy's eye as well. That's nice. It's odd. It's that kind of late uh, I guess very late nineties early noughties not gory really but a couple of bits mm. that seem quite nasty i think it, i can't remember if it's an eight i think it's an 18 isn't it there's a couple of surprisingly nasty bits because the rest of it feels very tv and then a bit where he gets jerry ryan is surprisingly sinister and horrible that's well, a 15 i think 
and this is a thought that we will come back to, I think, later in this episode, is that, like, I really like that it takes all the traditional kind of Dracula symbolisms and rules and things and just kind of plays with them and mm. kind of tries to do a modern take on it, but without having to kind of chuck out the rule book. Like, it just kind of says, yeah, the vampires don't like crosses. Fine, yeah. let's roll with that. It's quite nice because, you know, it's it's... In that period of kind of postmodern horror where it knows that everybody knows the rules by now. And yeah. it doesn't try and like fool you on that front. And and I feel like it's before everyone started trying to do like, oh, they're not zombies, they're walkers, they're not vampires, they're hungries or whatever. Like it just is like, you know, yeah, you know what this is. This is Dracula. Yeah. <laughs> this is what's gonna happen. <laughs> I, I guess it is a very buffy thing as well to have I was thinking, oh, it's nice that it does have those flashbacks to kind of Victorian London. Because obviously the the thing with Christopher Plummer's Van Helsing is that he is the original Van Helsing who's kept himself alive by uh, injecting himself with Dracula's blood. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's sure maybe that no a bit much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but okay, but sure, why not? <laughs> yeah, but then there's, yeah, you do get the very TV sort of, we've got like a foggy Londonish street so you can see young, inverted commas, Christopher Plummer stalking Gerard Butler. <laughs> um, and he traps him with mirrors, doesn't he? Like, or like, there's like a false, isn't there like a false mirror or something, a false glass? Yes. Some kind of sneaky little trap he sets for him to get him. Is it Jennifer Esposito's character who's in the police cell and can see through the two way mirror? Yeah, can see through the two way mirror, yeah. <laughs> That's fun. That's really fun as well. And they're like, there's no way she can see us. And she's like, oh, I wish I'd written this down. She's got an amazing line like, I can see the outline of your dick in your pants or something yeah. like it's so like yeah. yeah not only you know I can mega see you I can vampire see you so yeah I think of the the rewatches for this episode like this was the one that I think I enjoyed the most I was just like maybe it's just that I feel old <laughs> but like this period in time was just I just felt really nostalgic and it was just really nice to watch this and be like oh yeah this is what films used to be like and I think as well it doesn't lean to like it is a kind of action horror but it's still kind of got a balance like it still does have horror elements in there yeah. quite prominently yeah and i think even even the stuff that's obviously quite bad i've definitely got a nostalgic affection for because it seems i think i was just think about johnny lee miller's performance which is bad i think <laughs> but he's really committed it's a like i'm gonna be a sort of london uh, antiques dealer turned vampire hunter as hard as I can possibly be. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's all we can ask for from anyone, really. Yeah, like he's he doesn't look embarrassed to be there. He's like he doubles down, and I, I was thinking because I'd seen I think it was Anne Wilson had written a list of their best Draculas, and Gerard Butler was on there, you know, quite low down. But <laughs> I'd seen other people going like, oh yeah, like I forgot he was in that. And I think maybe the problem with him in it is that he's just quite quiet like he's mm. everyone else is super loud Jennifer Esposito is having the best fucking time <laughs> and like Omar Epps is really having a ball and Jolly Miller's just going for it Gerard Butler's just kind of I don't I think he got a lot of bad reviews I think I don't hate him in it he's just a bit like the, his main thing is to swan into places and every, all the women look at him in slow motion like <laughs> swoon over him he's very seductive and and it's very pretty in this. You just like he is, this like isn't how a, yeah. I think of Gerard Butler. I think of Gerard Butler being like a very sort of macho guy, but he pulls off that kind of um, like elegant goth vampire thing quite well. Yeah, I think because he's skinny and he doesn't have a beard, mm. so he's just you associate Gerard Butler with being huge muscles and 
if not a beard, then sort of like a crew cut. Yeah. Whereas here he's got fl- the flowing, the flowing locks and like the the black shirt buttoned down to the chest. <laughs> it's just like, you know, probably leather trousers. I can't remember everyone in these films has leather trousers. Almost certainly, um, <laughs> it's clearly the only material that there is. <laughs> there was a surplus of leather trousers. <laughs> They just had to do something with it. I think it's more like they just realised that there was a market for that kind of aesthetic. I guess mm. like it was an Anne Rice thing and a Buffy thing and a, a a new metal thing and just that general kind of I don't know. It feels like they're almost like goth baiting a lot of these films and that the films aren't necessarily very goth or very horror-y but they aesthetically kind of aspire to be and and that's a really weird thing because you don't think of that. You think of that kind of goth look as being a subculture and not mm. like, here's what we're going to do to appeal to me. In fact, the thing that we have somehow got, you know, nearly 20 minutes into this episode without saying <laughs> is that it's just got to be the Matrix, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I think this, like, maybe because maybe the reason why Dracula 2000 stands somewhat apart from the rest of the, uh, the other vampire movies we might talk about is that it, it, this feels like Buffy more than the Matrix. This feels very these kids out there like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, so let's basically <laughs> do a, a long Buffy, but with Johnny Lee Miller instead of Sarah Michelle Gellar. Um, <laughs> Which is a very strange... I, it makes me think of... I watched a more recent film uh, recently called Corbin Nash, which feels like Blade, but if somebody was like, but what if Blade was white? <laughs> and you're like, so you've this taken the thing... what everyone's been asking for. <laughs> yeah, you've taken the thing that was sort of like part of the premise like part of the of the idea of like subverting some kind of expectation and you just reset it back to the norm well done guys what if our action hero (laughs) was a white person what if if our action hero was a white dude (laughs) shocking (laughs) but yes this this um flopped didn't it like just no one liked this film but there are there are two sequels the director video but there are two sequels confusingly called I think Dracula 2 and 3 <laughs> yeah I think they ditched the 2000 pretty promptly and there is a Dracula 3000 but it is unconnected I think I when I initially watched them in like 2013 on Netflix I watched that and was like but I would understand if it was like Dracula 2000 3000 but 2002 that doesn't make any sense <laughs> I like the idea that they thought we'll capitalise on the success of Dracula 2000 by making an unconnected Dracula 3000 <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> what do people love? Space and Dracula 2000. <laughs> Dracula 3000. Obviously Dracula and space. All of this time, all of this stuff is coming back uh, with a vengeance. Like the fact that there's now an Amityville in space. Yeah. We're doing space again, guys. <laughs> I mean, I'm all up for it. I love. Um, Obviously. I love space. <laughs> there's not enough horror, like horror sequels in space just vanished, and I miss them terribly. I mean, there's, yeah, because they all, they're all not very good. They are mostly not very good, but there is at least some production design. And I, lo- I think the thing I love about In Space sequels, it, it requires at least some level of creative invention to like, justify mm. it. Whereas yes. it's just another, like, oh, that's happening in a different house. It's like, well. <laughs> yeah. We're not talking about sequels there in space. We're talking about vampires versus werewolves. <laughs> Vampires in space. Uh, okay, <laughs> I'm slamming the table with my fist. <laughs> space. Um, 
<laughs> I want to say like and in space, but no, uh, we 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 are going next to from from Dracula two thousand one slash two thousand. Uh, we're going to Blade two from two thousand two. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want I'm, every single film on this list I'm like oh god <laughs> did we really have to rewatch these um, which is a very sad Guillermo del Toro is Blade 2 Guillermo del Toro I know and we love Guillermo del Toro so much we do but um, yeah I'm getting ahead of myself so Blade 2 2002 directed by Guillermo del Toro starring Wesley Snipes obviously because this is a sequel to Blade um, also brings back Chris Christopherson and chucks in Ron Perlman, uh, Norman Reedus, randomly, Luke Goss, and Danny John Jules. Um, <laughs> because why not? Uh, it's it's not? a very odd cast. I actually enjoy that a lot of these films are like six people that you recognise mm. <laughs> and don't expect yeah, to see. It's, a, it's quite a nice time capsule for a lot of these guys. Either younger versions of people who are way more established now, or sort of like, oh yeah, that person. Yeah, and I guess like in 2002, it wasn't as painfully obvious that Norman Reedus was going to turn out to be a bad guy. Because <laughs> yeah. now you're like, no, oh, it's him, yeah, he's yeah. going to betray you. <laughs> so we are again in the world of Blade, where he's the daywalker, half human, half vampire. Now another different kind of vampire has emerged and there's a really cool scene where you first see that or it's at a blood bank and this guy who looks like he has a scar on his chin comes in and then like his whole head splits apart and it's really cool and it's kind of like an alien mouth thing uh but yeah these new vampires called reapers who are much more hardcore than normal vampires and they uh, eat both humans and vampires so this this is a new kind of mutation of the vampire virus and the vi- vampires are quite concerned about this because obviously they're eating them. <laughs> uh, so they come to Blade and ask him to kind of uh, buddy up with them, take down the Reapers. Except then it turns out that that isn't really what was happening and everybody was lying about everything and the politics. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't remember. I don't remember ever seeing this film before. I know I have. <laughs> But I like I was watching it and just being like I don't remember any of this. I I saw it. I think as it came out. I think I'm pretty sure someone had a dodgy copy of it because we were <laughs> too young to go and see it at the cinema. And we we're all huge fans of Blade, so I think I remember seeing it when it came out, roughly. But yeah, my opinion of it at the time was not that great because I was a huge fan of the original Blade, mm. which is much kind of nastier and darker and less actiony. I mean there's a lot yeah. of action in Blade, but it's a lot more sort of I don't know. Blade Blade one feels a lot darker and yeah. meaner and then Blade Two is a lot more martial arts and CGI and Yeah. Just a lot cheesier, I think. And Yeah. My opinion on that hasn't really changed. I think I it obviously feels a lot better compared to Blade Trinity. Yeah. <laughs> I always think that I like Blade Trinity and then I try oh, and watch no, Blade, Blade Trinity and it's awful. I thought I started watching it because I was like, oh, I should maybe just watch all of them for this podcast. And mm. I got 10 minutes in and I had such a powerful attack of life is very short and it's ticking away <laughs> with each second. Um, yeah. And I turned it off. I definitely see why people really like Blade 2, if this is your kind of thing. Because it's basically all action sequences and there's no character. Like, it's just kind of moves from one kind of gory, like, fighty, fighty scene to the next. But even as it, like, as it, I was watching it thinking like, Oh, maybe as a teenager, this is why I enjoyed it more. But I didn't at the time. I remember thinking that like it's too much 
like ninja stuff, basically. Yeah, I realised that my cast list that I gave briefly was massively uh, missing an obvious one, and that's Donnie Yen, who shows up sort of... Yeah, briefly. (laughs) Briefly, yeah. Um, (laughs) It feels like he should be in it more, because there's so much kind of martial arts-flavoured stuff going on here that it seems like if you have Donnie Yen, like, why not use him instead? I think he was the fight... He was one of the fight choreographers I was reading. Uh, I was like, what is he doing there? And I was like, oh, right, he was... was (laughs) um, Fights. But again, it's like... I mean, do we do we have to blame Buffy for this, that vampires all know kung fu all the time? There, are, there I don't know the history of the kung fu vampire movies well enough. That I think there are, like, martial arts vampire movies from yeah. back in the day that I just don't know, but... But I think they have less uh, PVC catsuits. Yeah, very big on the PVC catsuits. Very big on the slow-mo in this one. There's just that fight in front of the spotlights quite early on between Blade and Nisa, is it Nisa, the yes. leader of the Blood Pack? So it's just complete a completely pointless fight because they stop it like by mutual agreement. So it's just a, a, a fight for a fight's sake. And I remember thinking, like, oh no, is the whole film actually going to be as boring as this, watching it again? And it's not. Like Some of it is really fun. But oh, I don't know. I think it is really boring. <laughs> it is boring. Yeah, and I don't... In a way that... I did see Blade quite recently, the first one, Mm. on TV, and that's still really good. I still really enjoy it. Yeah, maybe you have to enjoy the fighting for its own sake. Sorry, my cat is trying to break into my room again. I don't know if that microphone's picking that up. Um, (laughs) And and I don't tend to enjoy... I don't really like martial arts films. I don't really like action films. And I get really bored during those sequences and just kind of wait for it to be over and for the plot to move on again, Mm. Um, which I know is kind of not helpful because in a lot of these kinds of films, the action is the point and you're supposed to be enjoying that and admiring the choreography and, and, you know, whether it's CG or whether it's wire work or whether it's just somebody kicking the shit out of someone like, you know, you're supposed to enjoy those sequences for what they are. And I find that very difficult. And so this film is just so boring to me where I'm just like, when is something going to happen? (laughs) Yeah, I definitely know what you mean. And I think the good thing about Wesley, like when it, when it is Blade doing the fight sequences and it's Wesley Snipes, he's really good at like conveying personality during Mm. fight sequences. Like he's really fun. Like apart from the ones where he's obviously CGI'd into it, or like like when he's actually getting to have a fight with someone his little reactions and stuff are always so good. <laughs> He's just so cool. Yeah, I love like Blade. The character is brilliant, but they do they tee up like interesting. Like they the opening narration, which is going to be a big thing for the other this and the next two. I was going to be talking about is yeah, so much narration, <laughs> voiceover. But uh, they tee up the whole like Whistler relationship and how important it is. And he's been hunting mm. Whistler, who was thought dead at the end of the last movie. Uh, and then that's the f- second scene in the movie is that he finds Whistler and there's a whole like tee up of is he actually cured from his vampirism? Has he gone cold turkey from the thirst in one night? And he has, and it's all fine. <laughs> it's-, it's just there to distract you from Norman Reedus. From the Norman l- Reedus stuff, I guess. Yeah, I but- think, and 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 well, the fact that like all the vampires are up to something that they, you know are lying about like they're like oh no the reapers are gonna kill us all and they're like ha 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 no we made them um <laughs> by accident so. it seemed like wasn't it or like oh no they wanted to make the reaper to kill blade that's the yes. twist, isn't it but yeah. then it's interesting because that all that stuff with the the idea that luke goss is oh his name i can't remember suddenly the character nomak nomak yes thank you no nomak is the son of the big bad vampire and there's this 
relationship between him and his sister, that all feels like it's weirdly preceding Hellboy 2 with the kind of Lost Prince angle and stuff like that, who's kind of turned against this fairy tale kingdom that's gone sour um, or like doesn't understand how to survive properly. But And then there are all like lovely Guillermo touches, like the autopsy scene is wonderful. Um, <laughs> Or they crack yeah, open a reaper vampire and he's got the rib cage and there's like the sucky thing in the chest that keeps trying to suck blood. And the fact that the the, the weird, the brilliant mouth thing that, yeah, like I said, folds open was in top, was something that he'd been trying to get into films for ages. Oh, wow. That's um, that was, <laughs> weird I think there was, In the script, I feel like there were super vampires and he was like, what if they had this mouth that I've drawn? Like ages ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Although it is kind of a shame that you know that they're a reaper because of the chin scar thing. Yeah, the chin scar is a bit of a giveaway. <laughs> and they're also all bald, I think, aren't they? They just lose they get lose all their hair and wear overcoats. <laughs> <laughs> Always with the overcoats, but like that's just that's just vampires. It's obligatory. <laughs> it's interesting about here. I think I always remember it quite fondly until I watch it again, and then I'm like, oh, actually, this is. I'm not a huge fan of this. And I think yeah. it is Del Toro's worst movie. I think Mimic's much better. I think Mimic is always one. Oh, like, is Del Toro's worst movie? No, I think Blade 2 is. And it's not terrible either. I don't hate it. It's just... Oh, I, I, it, was a, it was painful to me. Like, I, I think I started up, started by sitting on the sofa and finished it with, like, lying down on the sofa with my head half under a cushion. Like, is it over yet? <laughs> <laughs> but, like... This movie made so much money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It basically, like, like, yeah, tripled its budget. So what we've learned is the ones that I... Already, the ones that I like make no money and the ones that I hate make all the money. So, <laughs> everything I love goes away. <laughs> <laughs> <But> like, <laughs> it really does. Like, Power Rangers, no. Um, you're not Crimson having that. Peak. Crimson Peak. Gem and the Holograms, Ghostbusters, uh, yeah, terrible. People liked this film though. I just I find that so hard I've to got understand. Friends who really like it. Yeah, I think in my head it's a case of you like you people either really like Blade One or really like Blade Two, and there's a clear preference that people seem to have. Hmm. I wonder if it's a action slash horror thing. So people who like action movies like the second one. People like horror movies. Like the first one. Yeah, I mean, the second one is gory and it's like, but it's it's not scary. It's gory in a sort of look at this kind of <laughs> way. Whereas Blade 1's just got blood pouring from everywhere. Yeah, I didn't rewatch Blade uh, for this podcast. And I think in my head, that bit with the nightclub was in Blade 2. And mm. I was a bit disappointed that it wasn't. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, nightclub bit's brilliant in Blade 1. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, is it the, the House of Pain? Yeah, that's just really shit now, sorry. But the I don't know if it was good at the time, but it maybe it's just the soundtrack and... I mean, the soundtrack to this is not great. I don't know. I didn't think it was very good. No. But the House of Pain sequence where there's, oh, like, I don't know, people cutting each other and, like, licking blood. And it's just like, is this... Is this transgressive? <laughs> it's very... Like, it's kind of disgusting, this film, in the way that it kind of treats blood. Like, in that first scene at the blood bank, one of the, like, a homeless guy says to the Reaper, like, oh, they'll they'll take any blood here, like, you can just bring it in in a cup. <laughs> yeah. Which is so disgusting to think about. Like, it's just like, ooh. 
<laughs> it's not, you know, it's obviously not a real uh, medical establishment, but no. But yeah, it's just bodily fluids everywhere. Ugh. I think, and that, you know, I think that's quite fun. That the it's kind of nice that it's gross, but I find the the bit where Nomak kind of throws the guy through the car window and then pulls a bit of glass out of his head and licks it. That's way better than anything in that House of Pain sequence, which is supposed to be the big like getting a peek into what vampires really get up to. I, I, but I do really enjoy Chris Christopherson. He's great. And Ron Perlman's having a really good time playing a racist vampire. I mean, Ron Perlman is almost always a good time, but yeah. yeah. There is the bit where Norman Reedus blows up is brilliant. The It's not a dad scene, it's wonderful. I had so many thoughts about that. Uh, mostly that tactically Blade played that completely wrong because <laughs> he... So so the setup is that he has placed a bomb on, on Ron Perlman's head, right? Mm-hmm. On the back of his head. And like if he, you know, um, that betrays them or whatever, he'll blow him up. Um, and then they're like, ha ha, it's a dud. And he throws it to, to Scud and they're all like, ha ha, I betrayed you. Ha ha. Yeah. And then Blade's uh-huh. like... <laughs> big like moustache twirling <laughs> yeah um, and then and then blades like no it's not a dud and, blow, and it blows up and norman reedus gets splattered how but if that is the case and it's not a dud then he should have blown it up while it was attached to ron perlman on the basis that if you had to fight either ron perlman or norman reedus in this film you would assume that it's a much easier to take out reedus because he's just a dude <laughs> And the little scrawny dude, whereas Ron Perlman's going to be bastard hard to take out. Isn't he super easy to take out? I mean, yeah, I guess. But then there's the fake out where you think it's going to be a big fight between Ron Perlman and Blade. And then he just cuts him in half. Because that made me really happy, actually. I'm I'm glad (laughs) we we got to this so I could remember that. It's been ages since we've covered an early noughties film uh, where someone gets cut in half. Oh, yeah. Yes, we do love someone getting chopped in half. and wonderful. Ideally, like... (laughs) sort of pause mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. they they fall the into peel. pieces yeah. yeah exactly you want to see yeah the slow peel i was so happy i was like oh there we go yeah i mean all we need is some razor wire and uh yeah mm-hmm. happy days uh, sliding door <laughs> lasers lasers yeah who started that was it just that they kind of figured out how to do that effect and then it was suddenly everywhere I think it must be the effect suddenly became affordable. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like how underwater photography suddenly like becomes affordable yeah, and everything. Yeah. Yeah, Resident Evil, 13 Ghosts, Ghost Ship. I feel like there have definitely been more that we've talked about. But the, uh, Yeah. It's in um, um, Itchy the Killer is a really good one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say we don't see it so much anymore. I feel like it might have been in like a hatchet movie or... Yeah, probably. That seems like a... Oh, like a wrong turn, those kind of movies. But even then, that's, you know, you're looking at 10 years ago or more. The passage of time <laughs> is terrifying. <laughs> but yeah, even if we didn't like it that much, you know, this got Del Toro enough money to do Hellboy his way, I think, didn't it? Yeah. This, this is definitely Del Toro for hire. It's lots of, obviously, his own touches and stuff, but he didn't write the script for this, and it made lots of money so we could do Hellboy, and then... That's a nice thing. I like Hellboy. I guess, like, I just think that the Blade movies kind of uh, are diminishing returns and it's also probably related to how much uh, Wesley Snipes action there is in them. Mm. Because, like, by the time Blade Trinity turns up and it's all just Ryan Reynolds wisecracking, it's like... Yeah, this isn't what I wanted. I no. wanted Wesley Snipes. 
And yeah, I think I never saw the TV series that was short No. I think the reviews were bad. And then I liked the idea of Mersha Ali playing Blade, but Blade in my head is just buckets of blood and sweary. Like, Blade should be sweary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I can't really imagine, like, Blade not saying fuck and then cutting someone in half. Like, that's not really... <laughs> I've got an idea for a Blade film. <laughs> it's just going to cut everyone in half. <laughs> yeah, and swear a lot. And swear a lot, yeah. There's probably a nightclub in it at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, just lots of blood sloshing about. Yeah. Maybe like a blood swimming pool, hot tub, something. <laughs> Who needs a story? We just... <laughs> this is it. This is... <laughs> just want the visuals. It is a shame that, like... Like, I feel like maybe Parker Posey was fine in Blade Trinity, but again, that might be my brain playing tricks on me. In my head, she's brilliant in it. Yeah. But I can't remember if it's just because it's Parker Posey. Mm. I remember Dominic Purcell being truly awful as Dracula. Yeah. And Triple H is in it. Yeah. With a vampire chihuahua. It's a bad film, though. I shouldn't, like, remembering random bits from it is the kind of thing that will convince me to watch it again. And it's awful. I don't like it. It's like that horrible um, YouTube edit of The Wicker Man, the remake that makes you think that it might be fun and then it just it just isn't you that's not how you should watch films or think about films no (laughs) so uh moving on (laughs) i think that these four films that we're gonna get uh, getting ahead of myself again but this is sort of a mental note to myself like there's different ideas of what a vampire is or should be and how Mm. we approach them in each of them and i think that yeah, there's a lot more just of, of kung fu rather than uh, being a creature of the night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess it's in Blade, Blade 2, they're basically superhumans, aren't they? That's like the... Yeah. The, the, them, like the blood pack being vampires is completely incidental to them wearing lots of leather and like having tats and cracking wise. And, like... Maybe vampires, again, this is, maybe this is a thesis that I should think about. Maybe vampires are more effective when there are fewer of them, like just one, ideally. Yeah. Or, like, one main one. <laughs> like, you know, Dracula, and then he can have his vampire brides. That's fine. I think one and a gang's good, but I think you do need a leader. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Speaking of. <laughs> yeah. So, our next film is Queen of the Damned from 2002. This is an interesting <laughs> film. Yeah, it's, it's so weird. So, Queen of the Damned is... Where to begin the... Queen of the Damned is tricky because Queen of the Damned is an adaptation of the second the, the, the second and third Lestat books by Anne Rice after Interview the Vampire. So instead of going straight into the Prince Lestat, is that that's the second one? Is the the Vampire Lestat. Lestat. Vampire Lestat, sorry. The Vampire Lestat. They decide to basically do Queen of the Damned, which is the third book, and incorporate bits of the Vampire Lestat which is basically the stats backstory mm-hmm. before he pops up in Interview the Vampire. So in the movie, Lestat has put himself into a big long sleep because he's fed up with the world and is raised from his slumber by the sound of new metal, I guess. Like, <laughs> Essentially, yeah. Yeah, sort of vaguely gothy. Um, but, yeah, it's all it's all um, done by Jonathan Davis of Corn, isn't it? So I think we yes, can safely is. call that new metal. New metal. Because he thinks that the emotions and style of this is, is wonderful and he's a big music guy. So he wakes up and decides that he's going to become a rock star and live his vampire life out and proud. Which 
he knows will piss off all the other vampires out there because he basically is lonely and wants company, which is kind of not really gone into that much. The loneliness of him is that he's mopey and snarky and sassy. So the vampires are all coming for Lestat. Meanwhile, Jesse, who is a student at the Talamasca group in London, which if it sounds like there's a lot of plot happening, it's not really plot. It's just stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, the Talamasca is a group in London who study vampires and keep an eye on them. They know vampires exist, but they don't engage. They just observe, led by Paul McGann, doing a good Paul McGann. And Jessie is obsessed with Lestat and wants to find him so she can hang out with Lestat. (laughs) Meanwhile, (laughs) while this is happening, Lestat's rocking has awoken... Uh, Akasha, who is the titular Queen of the Damned, who is barely relevant to the film at all. Uh, An ancient Egyptian vampire who has been encased in some kind of rock form, marble potentially, and has been awoken by Lestat's swaggering display of not giving a shit. (laughs) And awakens to make Lestat her king. Yeah. And that's about the plot, isn't it? There's a music festival, and Lestat has to choose whether he wants to be the Queen of the Damned's king uh or whether he wants to be nice and hang out with jesse and make jesse a vampire and oh my god there's just so much stuff and even describing it like makes it seem like it's a really busy film but it's it's not it's like essentially plotless yeah it's because they're they're trying to pack in so much that none of it hits it's a real like cliff's notes version because they're doing two the two books and queen of the damned is a chunky book yeah like it's about 600 pages like we're looking at over a thousand pages worth of of Anne rice storytelling here and a lot of rice. it just does not condense at all <laughs> so like there are there are loads of bits where like the camera will just linger on a, a person <laughs> in the background of a scene and if you are an Anne Rice fanatic, you can kind of decipher by virtue of like process of elimination and physical description who they're supposed to be. But then they play no actual part in the plot and probably don't even have a line. And I'm not sure Pandora even says anything. I can't remember, no. Because there's, there's like mm-hmm. Armand and Kaiman and, and, and I remember the first time I read Queen of the Damned and I remember just being like so finding it so tense, like this sense of approaching dread as like she comes for them and is just killing all the vampires. And like, admittedly, I was a young teenager when I read this book, but you just kind of think, how are they going to get out of this? Because you can't kill her. There's this whole thing with um, if you were to kill her, then being that she is like one of the one of the very first vampires, if you were to kill her, then all the vampires will die. So they can't do that. They've got to figure out another way of dealing with her. And there's all this really fun ancient Egyptian stuff, all these kind of ritual stuff. But here, all the characters that are from that are just kind of standing there. <laughs> and then one of them kind of comes to save the day at the end. But I don't think she's ever properly introduced. So you don't even... In the film, you're just like, the fuck yeah. just happened? Like... So what? Who's that? Why? Like this very meaningful bit. Like, is there supposed to be a pair of twins, and they enact an ancient rite that means that they basically eat her brain and her heart, I think, and take it upon themselves to become the queen of the damned. But like here, they've condensed it into one character who doesn't really do anything. <laughs> it's just absolute nonsense. It's a real, real shame. Yeah. Because yeah, I really loved those Anne Rice <laughs> books <laughs> when I was a kid. I was I was a proper Anne Rice fan, and 
this is just depressing, isn't it? Like it's 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 nominally a sequel to Interview with the Vampire, but it has no it, like the tone is yeah. completely different. Obviously, it's a different cast, but like you could probably get on with that if it at least felt like it had any tie to that mm. world whatsoever, just visually, tonally, anything. But the, the, it's just it's just mad. It's just nothing. It's just yeah, it's just a bunch of stuff. It's just um, stuff. It's just a bunch of stuff. Like they just go, oh well, here are the Telemasca, and you're like. If I didn't know what that was from having read yeah. like twenty Anne Rice books, how the hell am I supposed to figure out what that is? It's absolutely batshit. That it's just yeah. If you've never read either of the two books, then I don't know. It, I mean, it would probably be as boring as watching it actually is. But like, if having watched, it's really just uh, like a rush to get through stuff. Yeah, and the backstory stuff just feels really wedged in. Because they're like, oh shit, we need to set up how Lestat knows about Queen of the Damned and Akasha. But yeah, it, like you said, it, it doesn't feel even a little bit like the Lestat that you see in Interview the Vampire. It's played by Stuart Townsend, who is bad in it. I mean, he looks pretty yeah, and that's basically pretty. it. But he doesn't look like no. Lestat. Like you could, he looks like Louis maybe. He doesn't. He doesn't look like Lestat. He doesn't have the. He doesn't have the presence like what you needed more than somebody with blonde hair like whatever could give a shit but like he doesn't have any charisma he doesn't have any presence and that's just really like he's really just... what you need yeah like the stats should be magnetic and he's mm. just nothing um i really 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 <laughs> i'm like holding myself back um like i just don't think that they did that character any any justice here because the one thing that they inexplicably decide that they are going to establish is something that's made up for the film and isn't in the books, which is that here, Lestat is sired by Marius, who kind of hangs out with him like some father-son thing and shows him the ropes of being a vampire and explains to him how you be a vampire. Why are those scenes in this movie when they never ever happened and they don't add anything to this story i don't know because actually i think they they actually detract from this story because like you say the whole thing with Lestat is that he is he is the brat prince Mm. he is um he doesn't stick to any vampire rules because he's never been taught them he's never been in that world he is just constantly just acting out just screaming for attention the whole time because in the book, what happens is that he's sired by Magnus, who I think has gone insane at this point and immediately um, kills himself so that Lestat is just kind of set adrift and mm. has to figure out everything for himself. And like that feels like a really big part of his character is that he isn't part of vampire society. Like he doesn't have a father figure. He doesn't. So he, he is just kind of swanning around being super obnoxious <laughs> <laughs> because ultimately like he's just a naughty child and he's looking for love and that kind of explains why he is attracted to akasha like there's none of that dilemma here like it's supposed to be there because it should be tempting to him to go and be her king even though it you know it's sort of more like um king consort or something like it's not you know obviously she would be the power and he Mm. would just be the kind of pet (laughs) essentially but like that's not I, that doesn't seem like that would be that appealing but like it would be for real Lestat because like it's comforting to have somebody come in and say actually I do know how everything works and don't worry I'm going to deal with it mm. and I'm super powerful and whatever and yeah you know that kind of has to be part of his thing is that he chooses t- to not do that because 
he's Lestat and he's going to do it his own way. But like here, none of that. It's a really odd choice given that they had so much story that they were trying to pack in that they were just like, what if we also made something else up that completely destroys all of the character motivations of this character? Like, what on earth? I want to just talk to... I I just want to talk. (laughs) I want the screenwriter of this film. I just want to talk. What the fuck are you doing? Oh, God. Yeah, all of that stuff is really underwhelming so it doesn't yeah like you said it doesn't feel like Lestat and there's no reason to feel for him in any way because he is just stroppy and like catty and but then like Jessie's crap as well like everyone's like she's just like oh I want to meet Lestat <laughs> she's a fangirl yeah and that's and then she's like I want to turn I want to be a vampire and that's her new thing I mean Aaliyah is not bad as a no. cashier but at the same time I don't think the film does that character justice again. Like she's not particularly fearsome or, and you know, I just, you just get nothing. You just like, no, <laughs> it's, it's just, there's nothing to it. There's no substance. Yeah. Leah is definitely the best thing in it in terms of, she seems like she's, she gets what she's doing. Like she's, I, I quite enjoy her performance because I think mm. partly because everyone else is so fucking annoying in it. But yeah, I think I do think she's good. I think, but I agree. Like the characters, so given such a short shrift in terms of motivation and history, she's just kind of referred to as oh, she's really dangerous, and then she pops up and she is dangerous. There's there's no sense of history of like how ancient she is mm. and how powerful she is, and you know if this being has been around for thousands of years, yeah, like, that's an interesting character. Like why what. Why is it that this is the thing that's awakened her when she's kind of just gone into stasis and gone, I've had enough of the world? Like, I just, I don't think that Corn or Marilyn Manson <laughs> would be enough no. to, to to bring that kind of creature back. The the rock star thing always, because I, I, I read Into the Vampire when I was quite a young teenager, but I didn't read the rest of them until I was about, like, kind of, I think, maybe about 20 because I was like, I just suddenly realised I hadn't read a lot of Anne Rice, so I've got back into them. And then I saw this the film after reading Queen of the Damned. But I think, yeah, by the time I read the book, I kind of thought the vampire and spear rock star thing was quite goofy already. <laughs> um, and it's really goofy in this. But I think, like, it's something about the new metal. I always like think of when with vampires wanting to be rock stars, more of like the Poppy Z Bright, Poppy Z Bright. Um, yeah. Kind of, but then that's all like Bauhaus and like, that's just in my head. That's what it should be is like kind of gloomy eighties, like turges. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, like Queen of the Damned was published in 1988. So it would have been more of that kind of original goth mm. type music, I guess. It, it just, it really wouldn't be New metal. what it is here. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's part of it. It's just, it doesn't feel, it feels rushed and like not com- doesn't commit to anything. Like it doesn't commit to. It feels like it's trying to cash in on something that's happening now, rather than what seems like a good fit for the character. Oh, I've just something has just come into my head, and I'm going to say it, and I'm probably going to edit this out. <laughs> <laughs> what would be cool would be like a vampire Lestat remake with like Harry Styles as Lestat. He would make more sense. Yeah. Like he's the kind of like mega famous like super charismatic super like everyone loves this person like that that would that would make more sense to me than than how it works like in this film like i could see lestat wanting to be 
um, yeah, just like a megastar that everyone adores. And in, even in that kind of boy band mould, I could see that much more easily than I can see him wanting to be in Marilyn Manson's band. Because <sighs> there's also some really weird stuff going on with the soundtrack for this that I think... It's Jonathan Davis wrote the songs, but then because of some contractual issue, he couldn't then be the voice. And so they got a bunch of other people, including Marilyn Manson and I think Chester Benningfield, to be the voice of Lestat. So he has a different singing voice every time you hear him sing, which is weird. Um, <laughs> like it just doesn't, it just doesn't work because new metal isn't a super sexy, seductive, <laughs> hypnotic thing that people would be drawn to in that way. Like. I, like what are vampires in this <laughs> they're just uh, I don't know it doesn't it doesn't work but at the same time as I think that this is an awful film again there was part of me that was just quite enjoying it because I was having that nostalgic reaction to having read these books yeah. as a young teenager and having loved them and just being like oh yeah <laughs> I remember this story that's nice um, even as it was just <laughs> rattling through it so fast yeah it's nice to go oh there's David from the Salamasca and there's yeah Armand and uh, Maharet and... but like they are really blinking you miss them yeah and a lot of them aren't referred to by name and no it's yeah, without that, I don't know what I'd be like re- watching this without having read or having any concept of the characters in the books. I just, I mean, imagine if you'd just seen Interview with the Vampire and then you watch this, you'd just be like, what is happening? <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen Interview with the Vampire for a while, but I, I do really like it. The sequences in it, which are kind of pretty unforgettable, I think. Watching this, yeah. I was like, oh, remember that bit with like the Grand Guignol Theatre? Yes. Or when they uh, kill Claudia, like in that kind of in the. Yeah oubliette thing or even just like what claudia looks like in that film is incredible like that hair yeah the hair is brilliant that shit that it's so personality free and absolutely nothing and i think like nothing so much story but no plot and i feel like both of these films i remembered very little about before re-watching them and if you ask me again in a week's time... <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be like, able to explain. There's nothing to let hold on to. There's no kind mm. of defining image or performance or anything, really. It's just mm. just landfill, goth-baiting nonsense. It is goth-baiting nonsense. And yeah, like it was made to keep the rights, wasn't it? And Yeah, basically. Rush in the production. Um, I don't understand why that keeps happening. Like it just... It feels really stupid to me. I know this like... It happened with like, Hellraiser, didn't it? Like, just, mm. oh, well, let's just bang out any old shite to keep the rights <laughs> to this franchise. And you're like, right. But at the same time, you've also just completely devalued that franchise and now it's worth nothing anyway. So yeah. <sighs> just, just just let it go in that case. Or pay some more money for it. There is a, there's a TV series, isn't there, happening now with... Yes. Um, that started with Interview of the Vampire and I think planning on going through them, which would be nice. That would be that. wild. Yeah. The thing is... As much as I loved these books, like I think only really the first couple are good, and and mm. arguably like the first one, like it's with the vampire is great, and then yeah. after that, everything switches a gear, and it's because in the first one, Lestat is the antagonist, and he's a great baddie, and then Anne Rice decides that he's the one she's interested in and makes him the hero, and that doesn't, it's not, it's not as good. No. I really liked uh, Vampire Lestat, but yeah, I've read quite a lot of the ones following that, and they do, they're basically all the same book, aren't they, after a certain point? Well, you start getting into Tale of the Body Thief, and you start getting into, yeah, body swapping, and 
drinking Jesus's blood and all the mm. other kind of stuff and yeah um not so good <laughs> <laughs> they're basically just an excuse to have like her favorite characters hang out after that I think like I read yeah because Prince of Stat was the one where he came back there was a bit of a break and I can't even remember the plot to that but it's basically everyone's in it but like for a little bit and it's just sort of like oh hello Louis how's it going like, oh, like <laughs> Still sad. Yep, still sad. <laughs> yeah, there's just there's just a sense of fun like, missing from yeah. Queen of the Damned mm. and Blade 2 for me. I think, whereas like Dracula 2001 is a little bit goofy and a little bit silly and I just kind of enjoy that more. Yeah, Queen of the Damned is not fun. Queen of the Damned is, yeah, dry the bone. <laughs> Queen <laughs> of the Damned is like, if you were in a pub with some really boring people who were telling you about the plot of a book they read. <laughs> so me, me trying to sum up the synopsis. <laughs> well, it's not. It's not Stone Cold Sober trying to remember the plot of Queen of the Damned. <laughs> well, yeah, because you have the same, especially if it's a book that you have also read and loved, like you have the same experience of being like, oh yeah, I remember that bit, that was good. <laughs> and that's kind of how you, it feels to watch this film. Yeah. Just like, oh, I'd really read like to reread this book i think <laughs> that's the main impression that I, uh, yeah yeah i had. think like it did i was like oh maybe i should read in interview the vampire again it's been ages yeah i am currently halfway through interview the vampire <laughs> oh, nice. Excellent. um i got rid of i got rid of everything um apart from the first three because i was like if i keep these books one day i will reread them <laughs> That is a waste of this one precious life, as you were saying. <laughs> but, you know, the first Interview the Vampire is still good, I think. Yeah, yeah. Which brings us to our final film of today. Um, so this is the one that I think we were both dreading re-watching the most. And it is Underworld from 2003. Underworld. Underworld. Directed by Len Wiseman, starring Kate Beckinsale, Scott Speedman, Michael Sheen, and Bill Nye, and a bunch of other people who may or may not be relevant um, at any point during it. It, I rented this on YouTube um, yesterday, and when it started, I was like, oh, have I... Have I started the wrong film? This feels like a sequel, because it starts with so much uh, voiceover backstory yeah. nonsense like mm-hmm. for ages i was like i had to i like double checked because i was like wait is have i accidentally bought the second one or something like <laughs> am i supposed to and that no it's just the first one's just it's just really bad storytelling so yeah. um <laughs> the plot synopsis is that uh for centuries there's been an ancient war raging between the vampires and the werewolves and the vampires consider themselves to be currently winning because 600 years ago they killed the head of the werewolves who are in this film called lichens as in lycanthrope uh but they sort of sound like that like mold that you get on windowsills um uh they killed him 600 years ago and so now the vampires are like supposedly great having a lovely time and the werewolves are kind of in retreat however they're all having lots and lots of bullet time uh gunfights and the werewolves seem to be up to something, <laughs> especially because it turns out that there is one man who is of the bloodline that began the whole palaver uh, in the first place. And if the werewolves can get to him, they can unite the two clans by creating a hybrid werewolf vampire dude. 
So our, our, our kind of protagonist is Celine, who's Kate Beckinsale, who is a death dealer, um, <laughs> basically a vampire assassin, although she might as well just be a mercenary because all she does is jump off buildings in big boots and shoot people. Yeah. Like there's all this backstory with, yeah, the 600 years of Lucian being killed and um, there are vampire elders who are inbound. Like that seems to be a theme in a lot of these films that there are really, really old vampires who just can't be asked anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah. And so, and there's this whole thing where Celine wakes up um, Victor, Bill Nye, who was clearly everywhere in 2003. And uh, like she wakes him up before his time and he's very grumpy, which is, how everyone feels when they're woken up before they plan to get up, I guess. Um, but it's just, it's it's a lot of, a lot of like backstory and mythology for not much payoff. Mm, it's, there's so much. And like you said, there's basically recapping a whole film in the opening voiceover. And that's not it. It's not over yet. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's going to be yeah. more voiceover. There's going to be a lot more backstory. There's going to be endless chat about bloodlines and history that's been there's so much and i remember i was watching it i watched it last year i think with my partner or 2020 i think during lockdown so i was like oh maybe underworld's a good idea at this point because dark days (laughs) (laughs) yeah indeed dark days and just kind of just having that real feeling of someone had spent so long world building that they hadn't thought about whether it was going to work as a story like for a film like it, it's they'd kind of mapped how everything that they thought was important for the world around the central story but it it clogs it all up and slows it down it's like it's over it's just over two hours i think the film and so much of that is just someone telling you something that's not really that important but is presented as essential information and oh my god it's just oh I remember being so, so excited for Underworld when it came out because it was vampires versus werewolves and it was going to be action-y, but like, yeah, like proper werewolves, I was told. And like, yeah, like I was a teenager when it came out and I was like, yes, this is is me. This is it. And then, um, yeah, seeing it and being bitterly disappointed. Oh, yeah. I signed up for what was then a UGC Unlimited card to watch this film. And it's the first film that I watched with my my new cinema subscription card. Uh, I was bitterly disappointed at the time. Uh, <laughs> I think I re- re-watched it again a few years later with my mum and was like, no, this still sucks. Mm-hmm. I think it was even the first movie that I wrote about for my first like film writing not, I was going to say job, it wasn't a job because it was unpaid, but it was like writing for a website that wasn't my own website. Um, so Underworld has, <laughs> has been stalking me my entire life. Um, <laughs> it's just still... But it was really weird is that I know I've watched it multiple times and like, you know, written reviews of it and stuff, but I was re-watching it. Like, I don't remember any of this. Like, yeah. none of it is ringing a bell. There were like maybe two small moments where I was like, oh yeah, I remember this. But it's it's really unmemorable because like, yeah, it's just backstory. Nothing. What's the story of this? It's like, mm, Celine thinks that she that, that she's just merrily being a vampire lackey, and then she realizes that some of the vampire higher ups are dicks, and 
maybe the werewolves aren't all bad and she f- kind of fancies this human yeah the the the, vamp- her, the the dickhead vampire who's been left in charge is in league with the werewolves for nefarious reasons and that this pointless human michael played by scott speedman bless him is just yeah is the key to all of it but he's no one's got a personality apart from no. michael sheen who is wonderful and I love Michael Sheen in this and he's having the best time he's just like I think because Michael Sheen is having fun like he gets to be like shirtless hairy werewolf jumping up stuff doing like good snarling uh he gets like nearly jokes or like he gets kind of good sort of he's having fun like he understands I'm playing like a werewolf in a werewolf versus vampires movie I'm gonna fucking go for it and he's yeah I love Michael Sheen anyway but he like keeps the film vaguely interesting like it's not worth watching for him but he is a saving grace of it yeah. and the same for Bill Nye. like he does some brilliant mouth noises it's like a he does yeah I enjoy the yeah <laughs> whenever someone tells him something he doesn't like he just kind of yeah makes a noise <laughs> I remember at uni just saying that we watched it and there's a, a, a long period of us saying what's this ruckus <laughs> 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 but it's, it is a boring film <laughs> yeah it's really boring and also it promises you vampires versus werewolves and ultimately what it gives you is some people shooting each other with guns yeah and I'm like that's not what I came here for <laughs> no definitely like Blade 2 but even more so them being vampires is completely irrelevant to um, they could be anything and the werewolves transform a bit and they don't like silver but Basically, when they're werewolves, they're just CGI mushy shapes. Yeah. Going And it's in Prague, so it's a lot like Blade 2, shot in a single shade of blue. Yes, it's really, really desaturated, because there are a couple of scenes where, um, like, Celine comes out onto the streets, and it's raining, and people are walking down the street, like, just normal people, mm. supposedly. And literally everyone has a black umbrella and is... wearing head to toe black or so it sort of looks and then when they kind of get closer you can kind of see that there are colours but they're so desaturated and there's so much kind of blue grey filter on it that everything just looks like it's black and white Mm -hmm. and in not in a nice like if you want to shoot your film in black and white because you can make it look cool then I'd be for it but this is just like what if we just put some digital filters on everything yeah it's all just blue it's the it's the Matrix's fault entirely this film yeah oh completely <laughs> yeah agreed the Matrix is fully to blame for this and it's got so much of a sense of importance of its own history but it's not based on anything is it isn't it no I don't no because I think the guy who we got. It's written by a guy called Danny McBride, who's not the Danny McBride that you're thinking of. But the story was by, I think, Kevin Grevyu, who's uh, who plays Ray's the big werewolf with the gravelly voice. He's written comics and graphic novels. Um, but this, I think, is a original screenplay. But you can tell that he loves comics because mm. this feels like a condensed, a really condensed comic book movie. Like he wrote I, Franken- I Frankenstein with Aaron Eckhart, which is... Did awful. you nearly say I um, Franken Rankin then? <laughs> I like that boss. <laughs> That's why I think of that film. And did you know that the creators of Vampire the Masquerade uh, tried to sue this film for stealing their like intellectual property? Oh, I did. But yeah, I did read about. It. I forgot they, about that. um, they, however, <laughs> uh, 
like I can kind of see the point maybe not really but they've the yes they filed for they filed 17 counts of copyright infringement claiming over 80 points of unique similarity between their gaming system and the film apparently though one of the points was that vampires drink blood which I think they would struggle to argue was a point of unique similarity also they don't drink a lot of blood in this film there's barely any oh yeah I mean Kate Beckinsale does a bit doesn't she I think Maybe it's just she she bite Michael at one point. Michael Sheen bites Michael. Does a good. But he's a werewolf. But, <laughs> so yeah, he's a lichen. That was like a lichen. really big sticking point for me when I saw this film. I was just like, I can't get over <laughs> lichen. And like I was saying earlier, yeah, the, the, this kind of thing of giving them different names. Um, I don't. I'm mm. not. I'm not here for it. This, uh, I was thinking about this earlier. Like, there's a, there's a film called Blood and Chocolate where they refer to their werewolves as Lugaru, which is like a like a French thing, but it sounds really silly in English. In much the same way as lichen <laughs> sounds like quite silly, but Lugaru, it, but it sounds like um I don't know, it sounds like a children's character or something. Here comes the Lugaru. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I just yeah. I, I this film like. I guess the, the the closest thing that there is to the Underworld franchise is like Resident Evil. Yeah, and I think this is there's been uh, reading articles about comparing mm. the two Resident Evil and Underworld because I think they did start. At, I think uh, Resident Evil I think is two thousand and two, and they are very similar in terms of I guess it's you know the heroine in boots kicking the shit out of horror monsters who aren't really like it's not with their action movies rather than horror movies using horror movie I guess like species or whatever. And they're franchises that won't die. <laughs> but I completely like, re-evaluated the Resident Evil movies in last, over the last few years, and I'm now a big fan of the Resident Evil franchise. Yeah, they're kind of fun. Um, and this, I keep... Uh, yeah, Resident Evil like changes it up and keeps coming up with batshit new ideas, whereas the Underworld movies just don't. They're, I have seen all of them, and Underworld 2 is the best one, I think, because it is a bit... It's got less bullshit to weigh it down and it's gorier and it's got a good baddie but uh yeah then there's a prequel rise of the lichens where michael sheen's origin story happens and bill nye's in that as well and i remember quite thinking that was better than the first one at the time but i haven't gone back to it and then kate beckinsale comes back for four and five. oh is she not in two and three? Oh, she's in she's not in three three um oh because it's prequel yeah yeah Scott Speedman's only in one and two and have to keep coming up with reasons why he's not in them. So he's missing and there's like body doubles playing him kind of <laughs> in the background. Oh, he's just in the shower. What do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, just recast them at that point. Yeah, like, right. Come on. Yeah, I don't know. I remember tweeting about... It was when the last movie, I think, was being made, Underworld Blood Wars, I think it was announced and they were talking about doing a TV series as well and I tweeted something from the Sci-Fi Now account that was very snarky about basically that oh Underworld refuses to die even though like like, so, like someone still thinks it's a good idea to make an Underworld movie and I got so much shit for it people people do love the Underworld movies yeah oh my gosh I, I wonder who those people are I don't know what do they want they don't like horror that's what that must it must be like it uh, <laughs> It just feels like all of these movies get further and further away from being horror movies. Yeah. And they just become like action movies, shooty gun time movies. And <laughs> that is time. just not 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 really what we're here for. But yeah, I mean like there's there there's a sequence in 
uh, underworld where there's lots of like pillars and lots of ducking behind and popping out to shoot and you're like mm. this is literally yeah. copy and paste from the matrix like. the matrix yeah um and i guess like i was trying to think about why so many uh vampire properties want to put vampires in long long leather trench coats <laughs> and i guess it's it's kind of an evolution of like you're imagining dracula in a cape and it's it's kind of on some level suggesting wings, I guess, like kind of bat wings, but it just seems so impractical here. Like the, the amount of kind of like swishing of her coat that Celine does where you're just like, it just feels like it's weighing you down. It just, feel, <laughs> it just feels like it's getting in the way. Yeah, and isn't she basically the only one in a leather catsuit? The rest of them are just like wearing leather coats. <laughs> Clothes. Yeah. Because <laughs> she just walks around in the catsuit like the whole time. Yeah, I guess if you were a vampire, you have no need to go to the toilet and you don't sweat so maybe it's fine that's true yeah 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 because I, I remember thinking like underworld feels like it's definitely marketed at teenage boys yeah but i just remember thinking as a teenage boy i didn't enjoy it like i, just sort of, <laughs> I was i was thinking i was 15 when underworld came out and which seems to be like squarely what i was you know someone was handing me a vampire versus werewolf maybe and and i didn't like it it was bad but then it's a franchise, it's huge. So clearly it definitely struck a nerve for some people. See what I mean about it? Things that I love <laughs> get taken away and things that I hate just fucking make all the money. Um, yeah, it's weird that you, that you say that about teenage boys because, yeah, it seems like, you know, put a, an attractive woman in a leather catsuit, but it's an oddly sexless one. And yeah. Like, because there's not really much vampire sort of seduction work in this. Like, there's no... There's nothing sensual about it. Like, there kind of should be, in the same way that, yeah, Queen of the Damned was missing that from Lestat, really. Even he's a little bit more... He's shirtless a lot, yeah. A bit sexier. Yeah, I seem to remember there's a bit in a... Like, a pool, isn't there? Or Him and Akasha have that, like, rose petal pool, and there's, he sort of flirts with some groupies that he then eats. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, because Jesse dresses herself up as a, as a groupie. Yeah. Um, at least there's a suggestion of sex, but Celine, you're like... Uh, you could, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just the level of difficulty that it seems like it would be to undress when you're wearing that. Yeah, they they have sex in the second one because then they have. There's a baby later on. Oh my god! Which is like the you know the next level of uh, hybrid. Is, I think this is one of those like, franchises where like you know like the keywords keep popping up over and over yeah. again. It's like hybrid. It's like a proto Twilight. When did Twilight come out? I think after Underworld, but. A couple of years after Underworld, maybe? I feel like I should know that. Oh, 2008. So, yeah. It's, it's a little bit after. Uh, I don't know when the novel... Oh, the novel's 2005. Just because the aesthetic is that kind of, um, like, weird shiny eyes and, and mm. very, very pale, almost to the point of luminescence. But I, that's an Anne Rice thing as well, isn't it? Is that yeah. the, they, they look like marble and they have glassy fingernails and whatever else. So maybe that sort of thing. I think it's just that, like, Twilight, the first Twilight, anyway, had the similarly kind of very filtered, very stylized, very desaturated colours kind of look to it. And that's kind of what you get here. I mean, I'm just trying to find anything interesting about this film. Like, why do people love it? If you love Underworld and you're listening to this and you're full of rage, um, please tweet at us and tell us what, what you love about it. Because I just, it just feels like an action movie about people shooting each other and yeah. I don't really like those. And the werewolves and the vampires don't seem particularly that, like, different. 
And I'm, I'm also not ever really clear on why it would be a bad thing to reunite the bloodlines. Is it just that vampires really, really love rules and the lichens are a bit messy? <laughs> I think, isn't it like purity of bloodlines? Uh, Bill White supremacist. Yeah, because he is... He, it's the twist that he, like, Kate Beckinsale thinks he's a father figure, but actually he's a right badden and yes. killed her family yeah, and Yeah, killed his own daughter and, yeah, 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 yeah. His daughter was in love with Michael Shane um, to, to preserve the purity of the bloodline, so he killed his own daughter. Or... Yeah, it, I mean, the one, the one image in this film I kind of like is that when... Uh, Victor is first resurrected and then he's like walking around with a load of like blood tubes yeah, the in his tubes back because they're kind of yeah. trying to rehydrate him because he's all dried up. That's kind of fun. <laughs> yes. He's all like shivering and like desiccated. That is a very nice idea. Yeah, the blood tubes. <laughs> but that's, that's, that's so much of this whole era of vampire movies is like you have to have, they have to be in skin tight leather. They have to have like a washed out filter. Uh, there has to be some vampires that are kind of turned to stone and hidden away somewhere and they might wake up. And just lots of kind of technology rather than, like, Dracula is is a story about, like, sex as much as anything. And it's, it's, about, it's very, very intimate that you have to, like, put your mouth on someone and suck out their blood. Mm. And by turning it into, um, you can just kind of plug a tube into your arm or whatever. <laughs> it, it kind of, it changes changes the nature of the beast. Yeah, yeah definitely. Like there's no, like, I guess Blade 2 is kind of grossed out by his vampires because they're weird and like, they're a disease, aren't they? Like in Blade 2, they're even like referred to as like a pathogen or like a, it's an epidemic and don't let him touch you because he's got the goo, like the mouth, <laughs> weird mouth thing. And yes. Underworld, is like I said completely sexless and no one bites anyone and everyone's just much more interested in the leather and the guns and the I can't imagine what that sex scene in the second one must be like I think it's awkward <laughs> I think Are you? yeah I think they're by a fight there's oh yeah, yeah it's right at the start there's like because they're running away so it's like a romantic like kind of fireside interlude <laughs> I mean at least God, Stephanie Meyer good. like has the excuse of kind of religion that makes her vampires a bit weird and sexless whereas yeah and also they're kind of not because a, a big kind of driving force of twilight is that bella wants to fuck edward like yeah. <laughs> here is just like i don't know like there, there's there's that scene this is the only kind of one that rang a little bit of a bell is when michael's at the video uh like doorbell <laughs> of the mansion yeah. <laughs> what um and and celine has to go out in the rain and get him and the um, Craven kind of says, "Oh, you're infatuated with him," and I'm like, "I don't know where you're getting that from." Yeah. <laughs> what evidence do you have of this? The, the, yeah, it's, it's just that the film tells you that they are because there's no yeah. there's no reason for her to be so interested in him, apart from that at some point. Yeah, I think it might be Craven saying it. It's like, oh, yeah, oh, is that what's happening? Does, does she like him? Because I'm, I'm for not getting this from anything that anything I'm seeing. <laughs> I guess I was thinking about the werewolf movies of the noughties being kind of quite... The the ones I really like are the kind of quite grungy sort of making it kind of body horror-y and sort of bringing mm. it back down to earth a lot. And the vampire movies I like from this era are also grounded and sort of they have to be a bit weirder. Like, I think Let the Right One In or Thirst or the more explicitly vampire ones. 
they're actually about vampires. Even like Thirty Days of Night, which is not a, there's no I think hint of sex in that, but there's well, they're a lot more like primal in that, aren't they? They're a lot more just yeah, like they're animalistic. Like doing something with they're doing something with them being vampires, and none of the <laughs> movies we've talked about. It just seems really. a weird choice to make. Yeah. To, like, why have you chosen to make, to make a vampire film when you're not telling a vampire story? Hmm. Hmm. Guess it's, you know, see, you can do superhero stuff without... <laughs> yeah. So maybe you have to blame Blade as well to some extent because that's another sort of early example yeah. of this kind of... Yeah, more action than horror that becomes more explicit in Blade 2, but, like, it, mm-hmm. yeah, more comic booky, more superhero-y. And Buffy. And, That's true. Yeah. And Buffy, yeah. <sighs> but then, but then, like, they're not stories about... Well, I guess Dracula 2001 kind of is about a vampire slayer. But for the most part, they're not. They're about the vampires. I don't know. I just... Mm. It was just clearly a weird moment where we just were, I don't know, like, trying to reinvent things, but hadn't really figured out why or what to make them into, which kind of tallies i guess with like the early noughts like what were we doing (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's like oh we need like they're vampires so they can do this i guess this cool action stuff and they can live in a cool mansion (laughs) yeah they can (laughs) yes Mm. live in a cool and just be very like the vampires in underworld are very they're just not very fun um, no. They do need they do need a Lestat to come in and shake them up because they're so obsessed with rules and hierarchies and like formalities and it's just boring. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, maybe maybe if we could chuck a brat prince into that, that'd be more fun. <laughs> Basically, I want a a Lestat film that really gets Lestat. That would be really fun. Mm. Um, but none of these are it. Uh, in conclusion. Yeah, we this is this is like quite a dismal start to the millennium <laughs> in terms of of vampires and werewolves anyway. It was all new metal and it was all the matrix. Mm-hmm. And it was all action, which is not the same as horror and we just want some proper monsters. Which we will, we will get to. Yeah, we will. We will. This I think this is the leather trousers episode and we wanted mm-hmm. to get all these ones um out of the way (laughs) so we could have a bit more fun because i think the specter of underworld would have been hanging over us if we hadn't just just um i'm trying to think of a phrase that isn't bitten the bullet because it's fucking guns but yeah (laughs) just just yeah got it out of the way yeah very glad to have got that done and yeah there's plenty to actually look forward to so if you are an underworld lover if you are one of the people that got it (laughs) watches every single one of them and thinks it's a good idea to keep making more please get in touch and tell us why because i would like to understand like what it is i guess um if you also secretly love dracula 2000 slash 2001 i literally can't decide what to call it this whole episode (laughs) depends well um (laughs) then yeah join our our club of guiltily nostalgically loving that film uh, otherwise, yeah, you can uh, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you like to listen to podcasts. If you would like to leave us a review, that would be amazing. And if you'd like to follow us on Twitter, we are at Chilennial H Pod. See you next time. Bye.